0: Welcome to another inspiring message recorded at Rivers Church. We're going to get straight into it this morning. If you've been watching the news over the last week or so, you would no, no doubt have seen some of the footage of the Christchurch shootings that took place in New Zealand last Friday. And there were two consecutive terrorist mass shootings at two different mosques in Christchurch, 50 people were killed and another 50 were injured. Uh, The New Zealand Prime Minister Jacinda Ardern referred to the attacks as one of New Zealand's darkest days and it is in fact the deadliest mass shooting in modern New Zealand history and ironically, New Zealand, one of the places where so many South Africans go to, thinking that it's a safe place. And you know, no doubt, I'm sure, like me, as you've watched some of the footage on TV and some of the events unfolding, I think we've all been appalled, we've been horrified at what took place, at the, the violence, the aggression, the simple disregard for human life. Yet in spite of that, none of us, I think, were surprised that something of this nature took place, because it's really just another symptom of a world that is broken, a world that is hurting, a world that is messed up, and a world that has gone wrong, and I think most of us here today would agree that the world is in a bit of a mess. And if you would agree to that, you know we see that crime is on the increase all around the world. Wars are escalating. Unrest is rising. Uh, there's protests occurring more regularly. Even in our own country, we see this regularly. People have become more defiant towards any form of authority than at any other time in history. More than ever, we see broken homes, failed marriages, uh, people with a resistance to truth, not wanting to live God's way, but each person wanting to live their own way. And as a result, we see so many people going through life with an overriding sense of hopelessness, people having no expectation for a good future, Uh, The irony is that we live in a world where we have more information available to us than ever before, but yet people are living with less wisdom and less common sense. And so as a result of that, we live in a world that has really become a cesspool of chaos, immorality, and brokenness. And it's so easy for us to become discouraged by what we see on the news and by the events that take place. But I wanna just encourage you and remind you today That despite what is happening, God is still in control of all things. God hasn't left the throne of heaven. Nothing happens without Him knowing what is taking place. And His Word tells us that He makes all things work for the good of those who love Him and those who are called according to His purposes. But the reality is that the world desperately needs Jesus. How many of you would agree with that? Five of you, six of you, that's great. The world desperately needs Jesus But what the world also desperately needs is Christians to be living and functioning and working and operating the way God has intended for us to do. I wanna read you three verses of scripture, one's from Matthew, one's from Mark, and one's from Luke. And this is Jesus recognizing the broken state of the world and also giving the solution to that brokenness. And the amazing thing about his solution is that you and I as Christians are part of God's solution for this broken world. We read in Matthew 5, 13, Jesus says, you are the salt of the earth. Everyone say, "Ah." Oh. Notice Jesus doesn't say you were the salt of the earth, or one day when you've got your life in order and you've got that increase and things are getting better. He says, as you sit here today as Christians, if you're a Christian, he says, you are the salt of the earth. But what good is salt if it has lost its flavor? Can you make it salty again? It will be thrown out and trampled underfoot as worthless. Mark records the words of Jesus in chapter 9, verse 50, saying that salt is good for seasoning, but if it loses its flavor, how do you make it salty again? You must have, everyone say, I must have. have. He says, you must have the qualities of salt among yourselves. You know, it's interesting. This is a direct command from Jesus. He's not suggesting that we have the qualities of salt. He's not asking us to pray about it or get discernment for it. It's a direct command. You must have the qualities of salt among yourselves. Luke records the words of Jesus saying that flavorless salt is good, neither for the soil nor for the manure pile. It is thrown away. Anyone with ears to hear should listen and understand. I've titled today's message simply, Living as Salt in a Broken World. Living as salt in a broken world. You know, it's interesting when Jesus taught on us being like salt, all his listeners would have known exactly what he was speaking about because salt has been a precious commodity from the earliest days of civilization. In fact, around 6,000 years before Jesus, there was already evidence of salt being processed By the Chinese, the Hebrews, the Romans, and the Egyptians, salt for many years in the ancient world was a very important uh, trade article across the ancient world. Wars have been fought and won and lost over salt. Many religious and cultural ceremonies use salt. Uh, The two main processing sources of salt is firstly salt mines, but then also the evaporation of seawater, uh, in many countries in Africa for years, they used slabs of salt as currency. You know, nowadays you'd pull a credit card out of your back pocket, but there was a time when you would pull a big slab of salt out of your back pocket, and you would trade with it. Uh, many, many cultures also produced coins, salt coins, literally made out of salt, that they would buy and sell with. Uh, there was a group of merchants in the 6th century that traded salt for gold, weight for weight. An ounce of salt for an ounce of gold, a kilogram of salt for a kilogram of gold, this is interesting. The word salary, your paycheck that you get at the end of the month, your salary comes from the Latin word for salt to imply that you are worth your salt. And that's really the question that Jesus is posing here. Are you worth your salt or have you simply become worthless salt? Jesus told us we need to, as Christians, have the qualities of salt among us, and so I want to look at some of the qualities of salt this morning, and then also, obviously, the practical implication of what it means for our lives. The first thing about salt is this, is that salt is a partnership, and I'll explain that in a moment. Salt is a partnership. If you remember back to your school days, when they taught you about elements and compounds in the periodic table, you will remember that table salt is, has the, is, is known as sodium chloride. It's the N-A-C-L, sodium chloride. It's, it's a combination of sodium and it's a combination of chlorine that together forms sodium chloride. Now what's interesting about that partnership is sodium is what is known as an active ingredient. Whenever it attaches itself to something else, to another element, it changes the nature of that element. That's really how God works in our world. God is the creator. God is the author of life. Whatever God touches changes. When God changes our lives, we are not the same anymore. And so God is like the active ingredient that is working in all things at all times in the world around us. You and I, unfortunately, are like the chlorine. Now, you might not know much about chlorine, but chlorine on its own is a poisonous gas. It is very dangerous and it has an offensive odor. When you open a bottle of jig, that first whiff that comes up and almost knocks you out is the chlorine in the jig. You see, you and I on our own are like chlorine. We are offensive to the world. We are offensive to God. We are destructive. We have no worth attached to ourselves. But the moment God, who is the active ingredient in this world, the moment God attaches himself to us, all of a sudden we go from something that is worthless to something that is incredible value and we literally become the salt (laughs) of the earth that God uses to change the world. Isn't that pretty cool, eh? 1 Corinthians 15 verse 9, Paul writes and he says, I'm the least of the apostles. In fact, I'm not even worthy to be called an apostle after the way I persecuted God's church. Many of you would know the story of Paul in the New Testament? He was a Pharisee. He was incredibly zealous, but his, his zeal was misdirected, and unfortunately, he killed Christians, he persecuted the church, and he was essentially offensive towards God. He was like that chlorine that on its own had no value attached to it. But then he says in verse 10, after his encounter with Jesus, he says, but whatever I am now, it is all because God poured out His special favor on me and not without results. In other words, he's Paul saying, There is clear evidence in my life that I'm not the same person I used to be. God has changed me. I was like chlorine. I had no worth. I was offensive to God. I was dangerous to the church and to people. But now I'm a partner with God in sharing the gospel. All of a sudden, I now become the salt of the earth. And rather than having no value, he says, now I'm a great tool in the hand of a great God simply because I'm now in partnership with God. Many of you would know the name John Piper. He's a great teacher and leader. He says, people don't enjoy salt. They enjoy what is salted. We are the salt of the earth. We do not exist for ourselves. Now, I know after this service, many of you are going home to have lunch, and I'm pretty sure none of you are going to partake of a big bag of salt when you get home. You say, oh, I love salt. Salt's one of my favorite things. I've got a big one kilogram bag of salt, and I can't wait to just have a whole bag of salt today. No, no, you don't do that because salt on its own is not palatable. Isn't that Right you would get to that first tablespoon of salt and immediately you'd start gagging. And then as quick as that salt went in, guess what? The salt's gonna come out. But not only that, whatever you ate before the salt is also going to work its way back out. You see, the point is this. You and I on our own, apart from Christ, we are not palatable to a broken world. We have nothing to offer a hurting, messed up world that desperately needs Jesus. That's why the Bible reminds us in Isaiah 64 that even our most righteous deeds are like filthy rags before the Lord. We are offensive to God. We are dangerous to a broken world. But the moment we are in partnership with God, everything begins to change. And like Paul, we too become a tool in the hand of an all-powerful God that can be used for much good. Remember, you and I are not salt so that people can partake of us. We are salt so that people can partake of Jesus. And the better you and I as Christians live and function as salt, the more people will turn to God so that he can heal them and restore them. Can you say amen to that? The second thing about salt is that it flavors. Salt flavors. I think all of us would agree that life without salt would be pretty bland And very boring. In fact, most of the food we consume has got salt in it. I suppose if there were no salt in food, well, we'd eat a lot less food. Maybe that wouldn't be such a bad thing after all. But life would certainly be a lot more boring if there were no salt. Think about some of these foods for a moment. Think about popcorn. Any popcorn lovers? I'm a big fan of popcorn. We try to take our four kids to the movies quite regularly, and and we've got our routine. We get our movie tickets at Gateway. Then we go up the escalator. Then we get our popcorn voucher. Then we stand in the queue, and we get these big tubs of popcorn. And then you can go either to the left or to the right because on either side, there are these big tables with all these different salts on it. Any salt you can imagine, butter salt, salt and vinegar, cheese and chives, uh, plain salt, Broccoli salt, chocolate salt, spinach salt. Anything you can imagine is there. And you can pour on as much as you want. And then we sit watching the movie, eating, and we think, oh, I love popcorn. No, no you don't love popcorn. You just love what the salt does to the popcorn. Think about rice for a moment. Have you ever tried eating rice that's not cooked with salt? It's, it's like eating bits of polystyrene. There is nothing to it. It's terrible. Think about hot chips. Oh, hot chips is just potatoes with salt on it. You take a potato and it's like, oh, it's boring. It's bland. You put a bit of salt on it. It's like manna coming down from heaven. Come on. Or when you do a braai and you get those lamb chops and you put them on the grill there. What do we do? Barbecue flavored salt, that's what it is. We flip it around as much as we can. Salt brings out the flavor of anything it attaches itself to. How many of you are Pringle lovers? Like Pringles? You know the famous Pringle slogan once you pop, you can't stop. I don't care how spiritual you are, how much you love Jesus, okay? You cannot, it is impossible to take one Pringle, put it in your mouth and think, ooh, that was so lovely. I'm so satisfied after that one Pringle. No, you eat it and then, ooh, I need one more Pringle. Mmm, I need five more Pringles. Let me just eat the whole box of Pringles. Can I get an amen there? Why? Because scientists have got it down to an exact science, the exact number of granules of salt that need to be on it so that every time we partake of these things, we are always left feeling like, I want just a little bit more. That's why Jesus said to us, you are to be the salt of the earth. When people encounter you, they must leave you thinking, I don't know what it was about them, but I need just a little bit more of they've got. I need some of the hope that they have. I need some of the joy that they bring. I need some of that peace that is so tangible in their lives. I need a bit of the purpose that they have. What is it? I don't know, but I need just a little bit more. That's how God has intended for us to impact the world, to influence for good, to flavor, to help people discover purpose, to to, to add value to people's lives, to encourage, to inspire, to bring hope so that they want more. Matthew 5.13, the message paraphrase is quite profound. Jesus says, let me tell you why you are here. Most people in this world don't know why they are here. What should they be doing in life? But he says to us as Christians, let me tell you why you are here. You're here to be salt seasoning is that interesting? That's the purpose for us being here, to be salt. Jesus is not asking you to be awesome. He's already awesome. He doesn't need any more awesome people. He's not asking you to build your own empire. He's already established his kingdom. He needs us building his kingdom. Maybe a word for some of the guys today. Jesus has not put you on this earth to be a chick magnet where you feel God has put you here just to service the needs of all the beautiful ladies around. No. Sorry if if you thought that, sorry. (laughs) He says, you're here to be salt seasoning that brings out the God flavors of this earth. But watch this last bit. If you lose your saltiness, how will people taste godliness? In other words, if you and I as Christians are not living as salt, well, who will? Who is going to point people to Jesus then? It's not going to be the governments of our country or any other nation around the world. It's not going to be any politician or any political party, no matter what they promise. That's not their job. God has mandated Christians to be the salt of the earth. Jesus said when salt loses its flavor, it is completely useless and it can only be trampled upon. You know, if you think about a few other things like plastic, Plastic can be broken and torn up, but it can still be recycled, and its full value can still be retained. If you had to take even a gold coin, and if you had to break it up into pieces, you could still take it back to the goldsmith. He could still fashion it into a gold coin that would have equal value. If you think even of meat, meat that has maybe started to rot and is not fit for human consumption, even that meat can be given to your dog. And your dog will think that Christmas has come in March. But salt, when salt loses its saltiness, it has no worth or value other than to be trampled on. In Colossians 4 verse 5, Jesus said, Be wise in the way you act toward outsiders. Make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation be always full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. You know, it's so important that we know how to engage correctly with unchurched people and people who don't know Jesus yet. Because sometimes we can come across as self-righteous. Sometimes we can come across as pious and, and almost patronizing towards them. But it's so important that we build bridge and we establish relationship with people. Because as someone once so profoundly said, you have to win people to yourself before you can ever win them to the Lord. You know, sometimes it's all about winning people to Jesus. Yes, that's the goal. But if you can't win them to you first, it's unlikely you're going to win them to the Lord. Because sometimes we can be mean and harsh with people and then in the same breath, praise God, hallelujah, now you need to come to church with me. And they're kind of thinking, if you were the last person on earth, I wouldn't come to church with you because you are a representation of the Jesus you're trying to point me towards. That's why it's important that our conversations are or seasoned with salt so that we come across as gracious. Can I remind you that kindness still matters. Kindness is so important. Being gracious, being loving with people, listening to people. If you can win people to yourself, there's a greater chance that you'll win them to Jesus. In Acts chapter 1, we read an encounter that took place after Jesus had been resurrected before he ascended to heaven and it says, the apostles were with Jesus and they kept asking him, Lord, has the time come for you to free Israel and restore our kingdom? He replied, the Father alone has the authority to set those dates and times and they are not for you to know. But verse 80 says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you will be my witnesses, telling people about me everywhere. In Jerusalem, throughout Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Jesus saying, one day the end of all things will come. He says, don't worry about that. But between now and then, there's a whole lot of time that needs to pass. And he says, in this time, God through his Holy Spirit will empower you so that we as believers can go out and live like salt, have the qualities of salt, so that we can change the world. And the word he uses is so that you will be witnesses for me to a healing, broken, hurting, messed up world. You know, I absolutely believe that one of the most effective ways that we can influence people and be like salt is simply bringing people to church. Sometimes we just overcomplicate things. And so, of course, the question this morning is, when last did you bring someone to church? I know we go, oh, here he goes again. When last did you bring someone to church? When last did you call a friend up and say, I'm picking you up this morning. I am refuse to take no for an answer. I'm taking you with me to church. And I think many Christians have good intentions. We know we should be doing it. Because it's in a place like this where people hear the word of God for their lives. It's where people experience the life-transforming power of the Holy Spirit in worship. But somehow there's a reluctance because I think sometimes we say, well, I don't even know where to start. Well, Jesus said, you will be my witnesses. Start in Jerusalem. Jerusalem was the place where they were. I think for us, that would say, well, start in your own home, in your own family. Who in your family doesn't know Jesus? That's the first place to start. Then he says, branch out to Judea. Judea being the place maybe where you work or or the places you socialize in. Then he says, go out a bit further to Samaria. Maybe those people that you see from time to time on an irregular basis. And then he says, go even further to the ends of the earth. Perhaps inferring those people that you may only ever come across once in your life. Maybe somebody on an airplane maybe someone in the shopping center, maybe someone in a queue in home affairs where you've got seven hours to stand and do nothing. A guy called David Allen Campbell said, Christians were called to be salt and light, not sugar and shade. There's too many sweet Christians, Mm. too many nice Christians. Yes, you need to be nice. Too many Christians wanting to be cute and trendy and hipster. God does not need any of that. That is not influencing people for good. He said, I need you to be the salt of the earth because it is salt that flavors the lives of people. Can I get an amen this morning? Another thing that salt does is it preserves. Salt preserves. Are there any on lovers in church today? I have a good feeling there might be biltong in heaven one day. I can't give you an exact verse for that, but I, I, I've got a feeling. Sorry if you're a vegetarian. But you know, biltong is simply raw meat that has been preserved by the use of salt. That's all it is. People have been doing this for thousands of years. We've just perfected it in South Africa. Amen beef jerky and all these other things. Piltong, that's the thing. But in countries where there's hot climates and no air conditioning or no means to cool the meat, people have recognized for thousands of years that you can preserve meat by the process of salting it. 2 Timothy 4 verse 3, Paul writes and he says, a time is coming when people will no longer listen to sound and wholesome teaching. They will follow their own desires and will look for teachers who will tell them Whatever their itching ears want to hear, they will reject the truth and chase after myths. I think one of our key roles as Christians in this world is to preserve the things of God, to preserve truth, to preserve right doctrine, to preserve sound teaching, to preserve and uphold morality according to God's definition of it, and to uphold God's principles in this world. The truth, unfortunately, is we live in a world that doesn't want to know God's truth. People have abandoned absolute truth. They live by relative truth where everyone believes that they can have their own version of truth, and yet it still needs to be true. So for me today, this is truth. I believe that this is true. But you know, next week, it doesn't suit me anymore, so I change my mind. And now I believe that this is truth. So this becomes true for me. No wonder people's lives are messed up. There is only one version of truth, and God is the one who determines what that truth is. When we live apart from His truth, we will always live messed up and broken. You know, the irony is that when we as salt of the earth Christians uphold God's truth, we come under attack for it. People call us haters, they call us bigots and all sorts of things. But you know what, I tell you what, if it weren't for Christians in this world, this world would literally be a hellhole on earth. You think about schools. Schools were started by Christians. Universities were started by Christians. Hospitals were started by Christians. Orphanages were started by Christians. Slavery was abolished by Christians. Women's rights were upheld by Christians. It was the salt of the earth believers functioning as salt in their day-to-day environments that has brought about the most change in this world. A guy called Matthew Poole wrote a Bible commentary many years ago, and he said, if it were not for the number of sound and painful ministers, and by painful ministers, he doesn't mean the preacher who went on and on in the second morning service without no end, but simply the minister who faithfully and painstakingly preaches God's truth and the holy and gracious persons, in other words, Christians, the earth would be but a stinking dunghill of drunkards, unclean persons, thieves, murderers, unrighteous persons, and that would be a stench in the nostrils of a pure and holy God. We have a mandate as the church and as believers to uphold God's truth. And the most effective way to do that is to make sure that each and every one of us as individuals is upholding God's truth in our own capacity, You know, unfortunately, there are people in churches all around the world who are in church on a weekend, praising God, hands raised, singing songs. But for the rest of the week, there is not a single bit of evidence to suggest that they actually have been saved by Jesus. We just fit into everything that is happening around us. But Jesus calls us as salt to preserve the things of God, to uphold truth, to restore what God has brought to us through His Word. Another thing about salt is this, is that it cleanses and purifies. Salt for thousands of years has been used as a healing agent. When people went into battle years ago and their bodies got cut open, they'd use salt to cleanse the wounds. Sailors who were at sea would use seawater because that's what salt does. It, It disinfects, it cleanses, and it purifies. You know, I can remember growing up as a child and Every time I got a sore throat, my mother would give me the same advice. She'd tell me to gargle with salt water. And you do that. Uh, I don't know whether that ever worked or not, but it's what we do. We gargle with salt water. You know, I for years have battled a bit from time to time with sinuses. So I always make sure I've got one of those big bottles of that Sterimon nose spray, those, those powerful ones where you give one big squirt in each nostril, feels like it hits you at the back of the eyeballs there. And then you've got to bend over for about 40 seconds like this. Let it all run into the cavities there. Then you stand up, grab the biggest tissue you can find, and you blow with all your might, and everything that was there is gone in Jesus' name. Rebuke, cast out, finished. And then you can breathe better, and everything is just wonderful. Why? Because that's what salt does. It cleanses, it purifies, it disinfects. 2 Kings 2 verse 19, it says, One day the leaders of the town of Jericho visited Elisha. We have a problem, my Lord, they told him. The town is located in pleasant surroundings, as you can see, but the water is bad and the land is unproductive. I think that's a great picture of the world we live in. God has created a good, pleasing, pleasant, perfect world, but people have become bad, and as a result, the land has become unproductive. Verse 20, Elisha said, bring me a new bowl with salt in it. So they brought it to him. Then he went out to the spring that supplied the town with water and he threw, everyone say through. he threw the salt into it. Notice he didn't gently, he threw the salt into it. And he said, this is what the Lord says. I have purified the water. It will no longer cause death or infertility. I think this is a great picture of how God uses Christians in the world. He uses us like salt, and sometimes he throws us into environments. But wherever he throws us, we're meant to bring change. We're meant to change the atmosphere. We're meant to change people's perspective. We're meant to change the climate in that environment because we are the salt of the earth. I believe when you go to your workplace tomorrow, it must be different because you are there. If your workplace is not different because you are there, then you are simply not living and functioning as salt of the earth. You know, every now and then we have people come and ask, oh, pastor, can you pray for me? What must I pray for? Oh, I'm the only Christian in my workplace. And I think, thank God you're the only Christian in your workplace. Because if you weren't there, who would God use God has perhaps thrown you like salt in that environment so you can work against the grain of how things happen. You can work against the corruption. You can work against all the underhanded deals and trends that are happening there. If you're not there, who's gonna make a difference? God uses us as the salt of the earth. A guy called Vance Havner was a great preacher. He once said that salt seasons purifies preserves But somebody ought to remind us that salt also irritates. Real living Christianity rubs the world the wrong way. Have you ever been eating a bag of Simba chips or Lay's chips, and you didn't realize that you maybe had a little cut on the inside of your finger, or just a little cut there by the edge of your lip, and as the salt hit that spot, ooh, ooh, ooh. All of a sudden, it's an irritation there. I believe that's what God has called the church to be like in this world. To rub the world up the wrong way, to be an irritation in the world. We're not just going to go with the flow of what governments dictate around the world. We Our mandate is from heaven. We need to serve Jesus. We need to bring His kingdom to earth. We're not just gonna compromise our beliefs and our values because it's now popular and because people say we should know We are the salt of the earth. And the moment we stop functioning as the salt of the earth by upholding God's truth, that is the day we lose our effectiveness. And then we are no different to any other social club or gathering of people. And we are worthless other than to be trampled on underfoot. I'll give you one more. The last thing salt does is it makes people thirsty. Salt makes people thirsty. Joyce Meyer said our lives are to be salt. They should make others thirsty for God. Have you ever tried drinking seawater? On a hot day, you think, "Mm, I'm so thirsty, I'm parched, I'm going to grab me a big pint of seawater. No, your body can't ingest it properly. For the simple reason that seawater contains seven times the salt quantity that bodies can safely take in. And it means then you have to drink a larger amount of fresh water to flush out all the salt that is now coming to your body. And the irony about drinking seawater or salt water is that the more salt water you drink, the thirstier you become. And if you drink enough, eventually you'll die of thirst. Isn't that interesting? You know, it's a great picture of how life in the world works. People live and thirst for the things that the world can offer. All the pleasures the world has and all the promises it gives to us. People live for money and and possessions and and sex and drugs and fame and and approval and all those things. And the more we partake of it, the more we want of it. The thirstier we become, not realizing that that is the very thing that will end up killing you. But God uses Christians Salt of the earth Christians, to make people thirst, not for the things of this world, but for the things of God. And when we live and function as the salt of the earth, when people are around us, they begin to thirst for God. They begin to thirst for truth and righteousness and holiness and purity and forgiveness. They begin to thirst for a Savior because they understand just how broken they truly are. You see, you and I as Christians are the salt of the earth that God uses to get people to thirst for Him. Jesus once said in John 7, 37, on the last day of the festival, He shouted to the crowds and said, Anyone who is thirsty may come to Me. Anyone who believes in Me may come and drink. Only Jesus can quench the thirst of this world. Only Jesus can quench your thirst. Only Jesus can offer the life-giving living water that can flush away all the contamination of the things that this world does to us, all the damage that sin does. Only He can flush it away. Only He can provide healing and wholeness and restoration. But, and this is the amazing thing, He uses Christians, salt of the earth believers, to entice people towards Him. Revelation 22:17. 17, the Spirit and the Bride say, Come. And let him who hears say, come, whoever is thirsty, let him come. And whoever wishes, let him take the free gift of the water of life. Can you receive that word this morning? We hope you have been blessed and inspired by this message.